welcome to the Geek Night In, episode 51. I'm your host, Laura, and I am here this week with Gemma. Hello. And Hi. no one else. It's just me and Gemma. Hey, woo. Well, I've got this lump of railway track with me. I have um, a pub downstairs who you might hear if they get particularly rowdy and loud motorbikes, which you'll hear if they rev their, their engine too much. But no other people who are going to be making meaningful conversation additions this episode. So we're going to do a little mini, mini two-person episode. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about some geek stuff. It's going to be wonderful. So Gemma, do you have anywhere you'd like to start today or shall I kick us off? Well, given that I rather awkwardly inserted that comment there, I should explain that, yes, I, I genuinely have a piece of railway on my desk this I, week. I'm kind of half tempted <laughs> to say, no, you're not allowed to start with that. That has to be the last thing in the episode, just to make people, just to have like a, a thing to work towards. But that feels somewhat mean. So maybe if you want to say, tell us about the piece of railway you have on your desk. Well, it was all, <laughs> as is typical nowadays, it was all part of an ingress portal hunt. Uh, of um, course it was. <laughs> But also um, because we've we've lived in this part of Stockholm now for nearly two years, and whenever we go in and out um, uh, to the city centre, uh, I say this part of Stockholm. There's no need to be mysterious. It's Chista, because people who are in Stockholm will know that if you go from Chista towards the city centre, there is a ghost station, um, and today we actually visited it. Um, but it just so happened that. Uh, there was a lump of railway basically sat by the side. Um, I mean, it's, it's quite small. So it is a chunk of rail, but it's about eight centimeters thick, I think. So it's like a bit of the rail that's been cut off when they were welding two bits together. Oh. And so we we got a bit of um, iron bar and just kind of like dragged it over under the fence and then grabbed it. And then there we go. I've, I've now got a, a, a lump of actual Stockholm tunnel barn I sat on my desk. And so it's a what, what you're way. saying is that you've been looting excess materials from the uh, the the train service, and that you know you are a <laughs> trespasser on their property, stealing valuable material that they could have smelted down for for value. Ah, and we never trespassed. It was right there next to the fence, and it's a found material thing. Yeah, I, I, you said next to the fence. I'm pretty sure you said you had to take it under the fence, which means you were on the other side of the fence. Yeah, we had to use a stick to get well, it. But you had to take fine. it from within their fence to outside of their fence. Yeah. I think I think uh I think you're on the naughty list. Yeah, maybe. But no, I do no have one a go tell the police now. or the government because Gemma yeah. could get in trouble now. Yeah, I should never make it known publicly. No, yeah, it's, it's fine. I should, I it's should fine. certainly you... never tweet a picture of it. <laughs> of course not. So now that you, you know, totally haven't revealed your crime on social media or on a podcast, how are you feeling about owning a piece of train memorabilia? Honestly, pretty nice about it because I've never actually had like proper railway memorabilia before. And this feels kind of nice because it's it, if for whatever happens, for whatever reason, we have to leave Sweden. At least we can bring a bit of the tunnel barner with us. Um, literally <laughs> <laughs> so like how 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 large a piece of like train track are we talking well like i say it's about well it's actually sat on my desk so i can measure it okay it's about four centimeters thick and i don't even know what the shape of a railway is but basically you get mm. it's kind of a almost like a capital i but yeah. the top of the eye is slightly rounded because that's actually where the train whales sit yeah and how um, long are we talking Oh, uh, 15 centimetres. That's a pretty hefty chunk of train track. Yeah, it's surprisingly heavy. I mean, we... 
like that picked it up and then we were still doing some portal hunting and walking and stuff so i had to carry this thing that's like a um, paperweight you you could use in a hurricane yeah pretty much i mean it, i can I don't know if that comes out in the mic. It probably does in quite a nasty way. But yeah. Yeah, that was quite a thud you had there. <laughs> that was very gentle. But yeah, it takes some lifting. Impressive. So yeah, so yay, hooray, you own a train oh, thing. Yeah, and I own a nerdy souvenir. That is that is about as nerdy as souvenirs get. So well done you. Um, in terms of things that I had this week that are on my list of things to talk about, I started watching an anime this week. That's totally unlike you. Yeah, I know. And totally unlike me again, it's a slightly weird anime. So (laughs) I've been watching an anime called One Punch Man. And this this is based on a manga that I never got around to reading, but I heard a lot of very positive things about it. And the anime has got maybe two episodes available so far. And here is the, the pitch on One Punch Man. One Punch Man is a an average everyday human being who lives in a world where sort of um evil villain like mutant monster invasions have become a thing that starts happening and when these first started happening um he saw a young young child being beaten up by like a big giant monster thing a monster lobster man who was going to kill him and he beat the guy up and he was like his 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 sort of mental mission was like I want to be strong enough to defend people, but that's not really why he's doing this. He wants to have fun with it. He wants, he's like, I will one day be strong enough to beat everyone with a single punch, just one punch. And I've won the fight. <laughs> and he trained very hard with this in mind. And he, you know, all his hair fell out cause he was stressing himself out. He's like 20 and completely bold. And he eventually attains this, this moment. And the problem for him is that he ends up losing all of the the enjoyment that he used to get out of this particular passion. Like, he has none of the exhilaration or the excitement or the tension that are sort of traditionally associated with, let's say, your sort of um, Naruto or your Goku from Dragon Ball Z. He just, like, this is something he used to do as a passion that he now finds boring because every single fight he goes into, he wins with a single punch. And no matter how implausible it is, just one punch and he's won the fight. And it's it's it becomes very quickly this sort of parody on shonen anime that is about one man's challenge to try and not win every fight in a single hit. Like, he's actively trying not to win fights in the first punch because he wants a challenge. <laughs> and every time he throws one punch through some confluence of events he'll accidentally win (laughs) and like every time he bumps into like there are other superheroes and supervillains and they're all giving their sort of elaborate backstories um the second episode has like an eight minute super speed monologue of someone's superhero backstory and then people ask him why he's a hero and he's just like well it was a hobby and it stopped being fun and now I want it to be fun again. And that's his entire backstory. And it's surprisingly well done. Um, the the sort of the ways that it plays with the sort of traditional um, over-the-top um, superhero-esque shonen anime tropes are really nicely handled. And there's some really interesting, relatable themes, at least in the first two episodes, of um, if you work at doing something that you do for a hobby 
to the point that you are good enough to do it as a career, how that can in many ways destroy your love of the thing that you used to to be passionate about. Hmm. And that's a really interesting theme to examine in a show about a man who got too good at punching and is now sad (laughs) that he punches too good. So, yeah, yeah, that's one punch, man. This is one of the things I love about anime, I think, is the fact that there is so much diverse content in it that you can have a show which is about absolutely anything effectively yeah, the motivator you, for this guy is ennui yeah you can have like the um the most niche of of pitches and there will be an audience that will find it interesting we'll get to that point where the uh whichever rule number it is for the internet will apply to anime as well come up with a wild theory of a or wild idea yeah. is there an anime for it yes if you think yeah it if you can think of it, there already exists an anime for it, probably. Because, mm. like, my, my recent ones, I'm thinking about the last few things I've watched, and it's been, before this, it's primarily been sports anime, watching my basketball anime, and my volleyball anime, and my swimming anime. And now the anime of the man who punched too well and destroyed everything with a punch. He's just too good at punching. And that <laughs> that is the curse he must bear. He is He is too good at punching. I wonder um, why I didn't consider like slapping. He's he's tried, and the problem is his slaps aren't good enough. Like he hasn't practiced slapping enough for that to actually be effective <laughs> at all. Like it's either completely ineffectual slaps or one punch that kills everything. Wow, that's yeah. that's tough. Yeah, yeah, that is that is a tough life to live. I feel so bad for you, One Punch Man. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was a weird thing that I watched this week. Um. Gemma, what else do you have this week? Um, let's see. Because I've been continuing to watch Twin Peaks. I've been heavily into that now. But mm. uh, I've decided I'm not going to really like linger on that because my motivator for doing it, it was like I'd always heard of Twin Peaks and I was going to check it out. And then when they announced season three, that was my motivation to mm. do it. So on the grounds that probably other people are doing the same, it's not talk spoilers because that is such a precious thing to not have spoilers for i'm not going to ask you spoilery questions but i'm going to try and ask some questions that will get a feel of how you're getting on with that show without asking spoilery questions so uh roughly how far are you through the show uh let's see it's about a third of the way through season two now okay how are you feeling about the quality of the show having finished season one and then seen how season two starts off and gets going. Well, actually, because you mentioned this last episode, and I haven't felt that so much. Um, okay. It's not been consistent, but if anything, yes. it's been consistently inconsistent. Because the last episode I watched suddenly went very horror movie trope, and that yeah. was kind of okay. Um there are some characters in this season who have started doing very odd things. Yeah. Some of which fits into a, a running theory I've got as to what's actually happening in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Other ones, I'm hoping it starts to make sense at some well, point. What I'll say about season two is that there are there are there was an episode count that they were forced to hit and they did not want to make that many episodes in the second season. There were certain plot points as well that they were forced to work in that they did not want to work in. As such, there are certain 
some of the times when this season is inconsistent, it's because those things are there to pad the season out to get it to its needed episode count, and they aren't relevant to the core of what that season's about. Mm. And equally, there are certain plot points that will feel a bit out of nowhere, and they are because they are working towards plot points that they were, like, shoehorned in. So this second season is very inconsistent. Um, It does have some high points, but it is just a bit all over the place sometimes. Well, it does have further instances and more instances as well of the... Uh, the FBI, um, the other FBI agent, basically, whose name I keep forgetting, but he's just superb as a character, like completely dry-witted. Yeah, um, I know who you mean, but I can't think of the name because it's been a while. Yeah, I can't even remember the name of the jobs that he does, which is terrible. <laughs> Draw Forensics. Dry FBI Forensics, man. that's the one. Dry yes. FBI man. Yes. But no, it's just the fact he... Because... Agent Dale Cooper came into Twin yeah. Peaks and was utterly amazed by everything. When I mean, they spend the, the pilot talking about how wonderful the Douglas firs are and how the the coffee in Twin Peaks is the best he's ever tasted. He's come from the city to this backwater kind of place somewhere near the Canadian border. But his counterpart in forensics arrives and just has the most sharp takedowns. And yet, like particularly the, the sheriff of the town always manages to meet it, even if it is with a fist to the face um but I, I just love his whole character yeah yeah he is rather wonderful so hooray i am glad you're still enjoying that um other things i want to talk about this week this is not particularly a thing from this week but it's um something i've never really got around to talking about and i just wanted to make a music recommendation mm. and this is for a, an artist um by the name of the homeless gospel choir Oh, I've heard of them. I think. Yes, it's it's just a one man and his um and his guitar, and I first saw this guy a couple of months ago supporting Frank Iero on his UK tour, and he's done a few songs that I think are particularly um interesting. Like when I first saw him do a set as a support set, it was very interesting to see him live because he was obviously he was very open and honest with the audience and got a very supportive and positive response out of the fact that he has his own mental health stuff to deal with that goes sort of runs sort of counterintuitive to him being um a live performer to the point that he had to cut his own set short um a couple of songs early and he actually got it like the way that he'd sort of opened he was very open with the audience from the beginning and like he he had the audience in the palm of his hand so when he sort of explained what was going on and he had to duck out he got like the biggest round of applause and cheering that I've heard for a live act. Like everyone was so he'd really bought everyone into sort of being in a good position to support him. But what I think is really interesting is he does like some very, very interesting songs that like have a good sense of humor to them. Um, but can very quickly change to like being very relatable, personal things that, just suddenly hit you like a ton of bricks emotionally um so like i have two song recommendations um one of them uh, let me just double check the names of the songs so i don't mess up here i'll be one moment one moment 
I have a letter to around here. Okay, so my two uh, my two recommendations are a song called Musical Preference, in which he sings about the bands he likes and how um, he he can he can learn to like you even if your musical preferences are shit. <laughs> so it is it's a really amusing song about like the the bands that he likes and why he likes them and lots of bands that he hates and why he hates them and sort of just like yeah and and I can learn to like you even if your taste if your musical preference is shit and it's a really amusing song and then on the other side like the sort of like big emotional gut punch kind of songs there is a song called untitled and the best recording of it I've found, like, um, I don't like the studio recorded version, but if you look on YouTube for the version recorded in Portsmouth this year, there is a really good live recording. And it is a very sort of personal song about um, how it's okay to take small victories where they come from when it comes to dealing with mental health and, like knowing that it's okay to like take certain victories that might seem small to people without mental health conditions as you know no that was a big victory for me like there is this one particular line in it that i remember being very sort of strongly like you never hear this talked about in media which was um yeah and i can proudly say i've um i haven't considered suicide big sort of musical pause in the last 11 months and like I think that's a really powerful sentiment to use where it's this sort of like in that example it's like it's not to say that like you like you know some people would be proud that like oh no I've never you know attempted suicide or anything but that it sort of solidifies like no you know having not done so in x amount of time is its own is its own victory yeah setting and, goals and recognizing yeah, that yeah yeah it's it's recognizing that even if you feel like you've failed in some regard that the time since failure is its own victory. And I just think he's really, really good at doing some stuff that's like very sort of personal and relatable in ways that you don't often see talked about. So I'd really recommend checking the Homeless Gospel Choir out because he's really absolutely lovely and mm. very endearing. And that's, yeah. That's a good opportunity for me to say, actually. Um, yeah, you'll be able to check that out on our Tumblr as well, geeknightin.tumblr.com. Yeah. Because we can actually embed Bandcamp stuff. Oh, we um, can embed Bandcamp stuff. Well, I can send yeah. you a YouTube video for at least uh, for the second one of those, the live ones. We can pop that in as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah. They have a musical preference on the uh, Bandcamp version. I just had a quick look. So, yeah. yeah. Hooray! This is all very exciting. Now, Gemma, what's next up for you on this week's list? Uh, let's see. I mean, we could broach the video game topic. Um, because I have been replaying Hammerwatch with my husband. What um, is Hammerwatch, Gemma? <laughs> it is a dungeon crawler game, um, which I quite like as a genre um, description, because it kind of describes what it is. You play as uh, dungeoneering characters. Uh, in our case, we've got a paladin and a warlock. And you go through dungeons, killing masses of enemies, collecting the treasure, defeating bosses, moving to the next level. Um, it's done in the style of Gauntlet for people who know of that. Um, that's certainly one that I, I think my husband ended up throwing pounds upon pounds into arcade machines playing that back in the day. 
Um, and it's local co-op, which is nice. It's the ongoing series of games we can play together on the projector after we've watched Twin Peaks or something. Um, yeah, and it's it's been around for a while. Um, you can pick it up reasonably cheaply with like um, four Steam license keys because you can play it online as well. Um, and I'd recommend it because it's, it's got a, an awesome soundtrack and it's mm-hmm. really... It, it's quite typical of the genre in that uh, as you're going through the maps, you have to have a certain awareness of where things are in the level. Um, there are all sorts of secret buttons you can unlock and you have to then backtrack and try and work out where it was you were and which enemies mm. you haven't killed yet. And we are kind of going for the completionist thing, considering it's our third time through, I think. Um, mm. But yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, then I recommend Hammer Watch. That is very cool. I also have a video game to recommend this week, and that is I played a game called Minecraft Story Mode. And this is a telltale sort of narrative choose-your-own-adventure game. The first episode's just come out. And it's really enjoyable. They've done a very good job of taking a very beloved franchise that had very little in the way of plot and Building, a, building it up into a world that feels very real and inhabited. Um, the sense of humor is really spot on. Um, it's definitely aimed at an audience that sort of... Um, its primary audience is like 12 to 14-year-olds that are really into Minecraft. Um, a lot of the humor feels like it's sort of bearing in mind like that this is the kind of audience that will watch a lot of YouTubers and that sort of thing. And that feels like a big part of the pacing and narrative delivery of a lot of the characters that being said it's um it does some really interesting things in terms of presenting like early teenage um characteristic tropes in ways that will seem fairly relatable to people living through those years but that for adults playing there are some very interesting deconstructions going on and you can sort of see through the fairly thin veneer of confidence that these sort of teenage characters have got built up around themselves. Like your protagonist is primarily a very nervous, dorky geek who is trying very hard to pretend that they are like, they've made friends with a couple of the cool kids and they're trying very hard to project an image of confidence as if they are also cool. So like they'll sometimes get like overly excited about like, the cool kid invites them to do something and they'll be a bit over-enthusiastic in their response and have to pull it back a bit. Like, you see a lot of this sort of, like, teenage awkwardness um, and things like there's, like, the uh, the teenage character that's, um, like, the sort of um, manly dude bro that makes one joke and the group of friends laugh. So about three minutes later, he makes the same joke again, hoping that they'll laugh again. Um, really interesting teenage archetypes that are very interesting to deconstruct if you're like like me like a decade removed from the target audience so that's really interesting um it's got a great sense of humor the plot twists and the narrative direction is a little obviously signposted and it feels like that is so that younger audiences can pick this up and will have a chance of picking up the clues as they go along it's it's just a little like the the breadcrumb trails are a little closer together and slightly larger breadcrumbs of information, but it wasn't a a factor that detracted from my enjoyment. Like I was still able to sort of 
see where it was going, but enjoy the presentation and go along for the ride. So I had a lot of fun. It was, you know, fairly low stakes peril, um, (laughs) excitement that, you know, was always fairly family friendly. It was just an enjoyable, enjoyable couple of hours. Hmm. That was really nice. Yeah, I'd been intrigued by it considering I'd been, I was following it because when they announced Minecraft Story Mode, I was still very much playing the game. And I was intrigued to know to what extent it might mirror my own experiences in Minecraft. That feels like a key thing for it is because they're trying to tell a story Mm. of a world which has no innate story, but so many people have applied their own. Yeah. Well, basically what they do with that is that they, this is definitely the story of a particular protagonist and their specific friends, but Mm. you are where you're given a lot of, um, room to experiment is in terms of how your protagonist responds to situations they're placed in and generally you've got three or four different responses to the situation around you that will have like will have an impact on the way that your your version of the character is presented within that world and the kind of protagonist you want to be so you have some room with your protagonist to sort of express them and their personality. Outside of that, there are still areas to experiment with. Um, There are several points where you're able to craft items, and you have items in your inventory to do so. You're given recipes for the kind of things that you should be crafting in that scenario, but if you know how to craft things in Minecraft, and you've got the, the recipe, like the, the resources to create something that you haven't been given a recipe for, you can make it, and you'll get unique dialogue and um scenes happening because you created a thing that wasn't expected of you oh that sounds really nice and rewarding like like a a very simple example right from the beginning um the first time you reach a crafting table you're um given some materials and told to craft a sword and the the uh, recipe book just has the the way to make a sword but you've also got the stuff in your inventory that you could make a lever and if you make a lever, you get an entirely separate set of dialogue in which you have to explain to the character that you're there with how you plan to fight monsters off with a lever. <laughs> and it's it's pretty amusing. It definitely rewards um, people who have some knowledge of Minecraft with little unique bits of, um, of dialogue for having done things off the beaten track. So that's nice. Nice, yeah. Yeah. I might have to check it out because I've still not yet managed to play a Telltale game. I was holding out for Tales from the Borderlands. But the simple fact is I've still not managed to play Borderlands 2, let alone Um, the pre-sequel. I can tell you that you can go into Tales from the Borderlands without being up to date on the Telltale series, uh, the, the Borderlands series, and it will make sense. Oh, okay. Like, I'd always feared that there was part of like a an overarching... It kind of plays in, but all you really need to know is, do you know who Handsome Jack is? No. Okay, he is <laughs> he is a villain in the second game. Uh, he dies before the end of the second game. That is the entirety of the knowledge you need to know. And that gets explained to you in the beginning of Tales from the Borderlands. It's, oh, fair days. There was a villain. He died. There's your setup. <laughs> um, like, I went into Tales from the Borderlands... Um, I really enjoyed the DLC for Borderlands 2. I never really got into, like, I never played through the entirety of the main plot. I just got 
like I downloaded someone else's high level character so I could play through the D and D themed DLC, which was really cool. Hmm. So like I I had very little knowledge of the main plot of Borderlands Two, and I still had a great time with Tales from the Borderlands. Um, that being said, its final episode comes out the day that this episode goes up. Um, so far, it's been fantastic. I am crossing my fingers that it halt it, it lands its finale. Mm. So yeah, I'm crossing my fingers. the The other episodic game that finishes on Tuesday is Life is Strange. Which, yeah, which uh, I keep hearing buzz about. And here's yeah. the thing: <laughs> Life is Strange is flawed, but undeniably one of the most interesting video games in a number of years. It tackles a lot of themes that video games generally are scared to touch in pretty pretty tasteful ways. That being said, it keeps sort of flirting with very dangerous ideas that it's sort of like, it manages to pull off, or it, it has done in the first four episodes, but every time it brings up one of these ideas, you look at it and you think, if you mess this up in an interactive form, it's going to be really dangerous and you're probably going to set the industry back a while. And episode four's tease into the beginning of episode five is one of these kind of moments where it's like, if you pull this off, this is going to be remembered for a long time as a benchmark for this industry. If you mess this up, you are going to really, really be remembered as a failure. So I'm really crossing my fingers to hope that they don't mess up the beginning of episode five. Mm. Because without spoiling things, it's dealing with some very, very dark themes in a piece of interactive work. And I'm just crossing my fingers that they do that topic justice and in a tasteful manner. So, yeah, there's that happening <laughs> soon. <laughs> wow, yeah. I guess it's always kind of unsettling when something deals with unsettling topics and you're never quite sure to what extent it's dealing with the thing will be unsettling. That's always a tricky balance. Yeah, like I've I've written about this for places like Polygon before that um, episode two of Life is Strange in particular... Uh, gives you agency during a very real life, um, very distressing situation. And they ultimately oh, pulled yeah. it off really well. But I had some concerns at the time about how they were doing it. Um, like this series has at times done things that I've been very concerned about how they'll manage. And then has ultimately like done okay with them. So we'll see. I'm crossing my fingers because I really want this series to turn out well. Because for all of its um, for all of its flaws, it has taken a lot of risks that a lot of games haven't tried to do. So, yay! Life is strange. Woo! Hmm. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about this week, Gemma? Well, uh, I suppose I could... <laughs> I have to give a, a shout out to like I think the. The many people now getting in touch with us who are starting playing Ingress, which is quite surprising, because um, I mentioned yesterday, uh, uh, yesterday, earlier, <laughs> time dilation is happening. Um, yeah, I mentioned earlier that I was out portal hunting. I mean, it's mm. this, this past week I've been being more and more daring with my hunts, so covering vast areas actually with green control fields because <laughs> enlightenment. Um, I'm now level six as well, um, which makes things a little bit easier. But I, we've already gotten a nemesis, basically. There is a resistance player around here who keeps undoing our work, and it's just... Ah. Um, yeah. 
Oh yeah, like loads of people I've seen have um, found the uh, the game through our podcast. Like uh, Badass Burgess re picked up their uh, their account. Uh, my mother of all people has started playing. Who then got my aunt into it? Who then got um, my my father into it? And um, like I'm watching people who don't usually play games start picking it up because my mother listened to an episode of The Geek Night In. Um, yeah, lots of people seem to have picked it up since since you mentioned it. So well done, Gemma. You have brought people in. Just be aware that at least five of the people that you brought in are uh, playing for the resistance. Yeah, well, I, I try to see it as uh, that they provide the challenges for the enlightened to rise above. <laughs> um, well, yeah. the enlightened provide the challenges for us to resist. Oh, uh, you're resistance as well. Pardon? Are you resistance as well? I'm resistance. Wow. Did you not know I was resistance? I did not know. No, you kept that quiet. Yeah, I'm resistance. Wow. Are you enlightened? Well, yes. Well, because of course. Well, why wouldn't I resist that? <laughs> you wouldn't resist because... Okay, I, I see. So you're resisting what, what... me rather than... <laughs> what you call enlightenment, I disagree with, uh, I feel, is a much less positive thing than you make it out to be. Yeah, but all these you call it enlightenment, are... you give it positive, you give it a positive name. I, I think that we need to resist what you're, uh, what you're throwing our direction. Ah, uh, but portals are creating fantastic things and landmarks and they're advancing the human condition so of course we should use that and investigate it and there there are no aliens as yeah and you know <laughs> totally not a bad idea to rely on that for human advancement at the detriment of you know focusing on humanity advancing itself and yeah. not giving in to the aliens that totally don't exist yeah, yeah spoiler there's aliens we're resisting the aliens <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as part of my general portal hunting this week, I've ended up uh, discovering, finally, a runestone, um, of which yeah. there are, I think, something like 3,000 within Stockholm's Len. Uh, <laughs> funnily enough, there were Vikings in Sweden. <laughs> oh, really? Um, but this is one of the things I was really looking forward to with Ingress when I first started it, was because all the portals are places of worship or landmarks mm. and most of them are landmarks i was going to rely on that basically as a means of telling like where are the runestones so uh, i ended up discovering one actually quite near where i used to live um which took me by surprise because i just turned a corner which i didn't ordinarily do and bam there we go runestone mm. um somebody on twitter pointed out that the photo i posted of it made it look quite new and this revealed the, the knowledge that basically they'd gone looking and it turns out that um, somebody, mysterious entities, um, have been repainting some of the rune stones so that they look as they would have done when they were originally made. Mm. So this thing has like the, the full Nordic glyphs and everything. It's authentic, <laughs> but they've just added a coat of paint so that it looks a bit newer. Yeah. It's kind of in contrast to, say, um, ancient Egypt, the way all the temples and stuff look quite plain they're just plain sand but originally they were covered in really rich colors um so yeah. there was that sort of thing going on anyway just learning that about a, a, something i'd taken to be a lump of rock from behind um, look at you finding new things yeah and then earlier today just um discovering a viking burial ground um oh. on top of <laughs> on top of a bmx track <laughs> how um, exciting that's brilliant because uh, again the the it's this 
Iron Age burial ground overlooking Chista, which is the world's second uh, biggest hub for like tech industries, basically. It's only yeah. topped by Silicon Valley for just like, and we've got skyscrapers and tech labs and all sorts going on, and Vikings are under the ground. So, yeah, that was all kind of fun. So it's actually really an enriching discovering of the neighborhood. So as if more people need recommending, give it a go. Hooray, <laughs> go ingress. Um, and with that, we're probably going to wrap up for this week. So thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed our little mini two-person episode. I think that's been a nice one. I had a good time, Jammers. Lovely. Yeah, so it's nice talking games. <laughs> exactly. There's no one to be like, oh, why are you talking about games? <laughs> We can do that every now and then. Um, so thank you very much for listening, everyone. Time to do self-promotion. Gemma, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me by my Twitter handle, at Goth, And you'll also be able to find me on the Diversity Podcast, which I think is launching the day after this episode goes live. So you'll be able to find that on iTunes. It's a podcast related to the organization of which I am chair. It's a Sweden-based group which is increasing diversity and inclusivity in games. So we're talking about that topic, basically. And it's an ongoing series. So That's, that's a positive thing that is being done. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then for me, you can find me at Laura K. Buzz on most things. Um, if you check out um, my YouTube channel, Laura K. Buzz on YouTube, you will find probably on Tuesday evening a full Let's Play of uh, Life is Strange Episode 5. It will be my first time playing through the final episode, so I will be going in completely blind for you lovely viewers. Uh, other than that, I'll have a few reviews going up this week. Um, got a couple of podcasts and things going up so and then i'll be at mcm next weekend in london so if, ah, if you're going to be at that MC- time of year again. <laughs> yeah that time of year if you're going to be at mcm in london look out for chloe from life is strange on friday um cecil from welcome to night vale on saturday and mm. commander shepherd from mass effect on sunday so that is that is the plan because i'm doing some cosplays i have heard the armor is something to behold it is, but it's also quite a nightmare to move in, which is going to be really fun at MCM because I don't know if you've heard that's a really busy convention. So, <laughs> it's something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, so that'll be fun. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we will have another episode for you again soon. Bye. Bye.